Welcome to another Acoustic Alternatives. We're in Grove Studios in Ypsilanti, the home of the podcast since 2020, back when I was wearing masks and interviewing folks like Chris DuPont and other favorite local musicians. And uh, it is a great place to do your podcasting, or if you're a band or even a solo artist, DJ, we have rooms here at Grove Studios that are applicable for you. If you want to make noise that uh, wouldn't annoy your neighbors otherwise, this is a fantastic room uh, for actually the building in general. Grove Studios in Ypsilanti is what you're looking for. And today with this podcast, I am 100% confident that we will have our 6,000th listen on the audio forms of all the podcasts that exist. This is podcast number 71, and it is an honor to welcome Mr. Peter Madcat Ruth, who does jazz, blues, roots, rock. I mean, what don't you do, really? And he's always a joy to watch in concert. Uh, so welcome to the podcast, Mr. Hey, so glad to be here. You should probably be talking into this microphone. Oh, yeah. I, should, I should be talking into that one. All right. That's the I'm one. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> so good to have you. And they're celebrating a 75th birthday coming up with a show at the Ark next month. Oh, yeah. That's going to be a good one. Looking forward to that very much. And uh, generally speaking, uh, you're a pretty happy cat. I don't know where Matt Cat comes from. <laughs> uh, it was a high school nickname. It's stuck after a while. <laughs> it has. It has. I think that's. I don't, if, I, if I said Peter Ruth to somebody, they'd be like, "Mad." <laughs> yeah, it's part of exactly the every everybody who calls you anything is always in there. Yeah. All right. So you know, because we talked briefly beforehand, there's some performance that goes along with the podcast. Okay. So what would you like to start with uh, to represent your musical everything that you do? Okay. Well, I guess I'll start with a jaw harp and harmonica solo. All right. What's the song called? Don't know. Oh. Joe Harp and an an harmonica improvisation is the name of this one. There we go. All right. Improvs can be any length they want, can't they? (laughs) And if I don't know it, I can't anticipate the ending. (laughs) Thank you for that, sir. All right, so 75 years. We've got a lot of ground to cover, and we don't have a ton of time. We we only have so much studio time booked here. So uh, let's back all the way up to young you. Where did you grow up? I grew up in the Chicago suburbs. Okay. Uh, Born in 1949. Mm -hmm. And uh, got into music because I heard the Kingston Trio on the radio in 1949. 59, 10 years old, I fell in love with the Kingston Trio. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and uh, a year later, I was 11, I got a, a ukulele, mm-hmm. and I learned how to play the Kingston Trio songs. Oh, before I had the ukulele, I had this little hand drum, a Hopi Indian hand drum, and I'd play along with the records on my Hopi Indian hand drum at age 10, thinking that the Kingston Trio would discover me and uh, they'd add me as their percussionist and it would become the Kingston Quartet. Ooh, and it, big, but it ne- somehow dreams. it never happened. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, uh, I really love music and that was just the beginnings of this folk music revolution that was happening. And there's a radio station in Chicago that I, WFMT that had a folk music show called The Midnight Special. Mm-hmm. I'd listen to it every week, and uh, I wanted to play guitar. And finally, at about age 12, my parents got me a, a guitar, and 
I played the guitar and the ukulele for a while, and then the ukulele kind of fell away, and I just studied guitar. Took uh, lessons at a local music store, and then I went to the Old Town School of Folk Music for a few years every Saturday. Mm -hmm. Learned more about how to play guitar. And, and at age 15, I was listening to that radio station, the same one, the same radio show, the Midnight Special, and I heard Brownie McGee and Sonny Terry. Just, whoa! That was the sound, that harmonica like captured me, it just took me over. I said, I'm gonna have to learn how to do that. Uh, my father had a harmonica. He had one harmonica and he'd He'd play that sort of thing, but not as well. Because <laughs> he, he only played it about 10 minutes a year. <laughs> oh, that's not much practice. <laughs> uh, yeah. But he played it, and I, you know, once in a while I'd hear him play it, and, you know. So I got that harmonica out, and I put on the Sonny Terry record. And, but he was playing. <laughs> Now, harmonicas come in 12 different keys, and fortunately, I had this collection of f called Folk Music from Newport, and on this collection, there was two Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee records, and one was, uh, one was in the key of F, and my father had a B-flat harmonica, so when I played along, hey, it was the same harmonica that Sonny Terry was using. The other was in a different key, and so when I played along, it sounded like, you know. The, not, not as pretty. Uh, definitely a dissonant <laughs> key, so, but I stuck with that one song, and I played it over and over, and finally someone, uh, in, so it was a guy at the counter behind, uh, selling guitar strings and picks and harmonicas at the Old Town School of Folk Music, and he told me about how, you know, what key to play with different if you want to play blues, it's, it's crazy stuff, but if you want to play blues in the key of C, you get an F harmonica. If you want to play blues in the key of E, you get an A harmonica. And Do you notice the way I'm looking at you? Like, yeah. what? like a puppy dog saying, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't, except it does. It makes perfect sense because the, the harmonica, like this is a C harmonica. If you blow in it, there's a C chord, but if you inhale, it's a G chord. And the blues guys always started on the inhaling note. And so uh, that's why I had to learn what harmonica to get. <laughs> mm -hmm. But anyway, I started playing harmonica. My harmonica playing improved a lot faster than my guitar playing. Uh, so the first few years, I only listened to Sonny Terry. And then one day I went down to the place called Jazz Record Mart in downtown Chicago, and I said... Uh, you have any uh, any blues harmonica players? And they said, Yeah, we have we have records by these guys. And they, and you have anyone else besides Sonny Terry? And they said, Yeah, we, here get this Junior Wells record. And that really blew my mind. And then mm -hmm. I got the little Walter record, and then the Sonny Boy Williamson and and uh, James Cotton and Big Walter Horton and. The so, door was fully open yeah, at this man, point. I, I, <laughs> I jumped right in. So when I in high school, when I should have been studying my my uh, homework, I was playing harmonica and guitar all the time. And did, did look you, what happened to me. Look what happened to you. Did what? you ever hold another job that wasn't music-related in your lifetime? Uh, yeah, for about nine months. Okay. What was I that? soldered circuit boards oh. for about nine months. And then I figured out if I spent 40 hours a week trying to get gigs rather than soldering circuit boards, I could, uh, I wouldn't have to solder circuit boards anymore. And I, so uh, I realized then I, if I tried to get work for only, you know, 20 hours a week or 10 hours a week, I could get enough work to not have to solder circuit boards. So for damn near 60 years, you've made a living with music. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it is kind of amazing. <laughs> I mean, that's, it is, it's hard to do. Yeah, it is. And it's, 
it's harder now than it used to be, but it's... Well, it's going to get to that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's on page two. Okay. <laughs> but that's okay. We can, we can go through it. Uh, at your age, I mean, just thinking about chronologically what happened in the music industry. Oh, my goodness. You got to live through the Beatles on Sullivan at a pretty ripe age. You were only about 15. Yeah, I, I, was, I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, and I'll even blow your mind further. I saw Elvis Presley on Ed Sullivan's oh, show when goodness. I was like six years old or something. What? So. <laughs> so these things can't not influence you. I oh, know that yeah, isn't the kind sure. of music you play, but that's that was such an impactful thing. Absolutely. For... And and living through the uh, whole uh, folk music revival and mm-hmm. then living through the British invasion and, you know, right. British music and, you know, Jimi Hendrix, oh my gosh, blew my mind. And, uh, yeah, it was great. All that Brit- British blues stuff was, uh, you know, fabulous. And uh, of course, I had already been listening to Chicago blues. So a lot of people got into blues after listening to the Rolling Stones and John Mayall, and the, they said, "Where's this coming from?" And they traced it back to blues. But I, I was already in the blues, <laughs> in the blues store. I used to listen to the AM radio in Chicago at night, and they. Here the blues shows. There's two of them in particular: the Big Bill Hill show on WOPA and the Purvis Span, the Blues Man on WVON. They blues on the radio at night on on the AM radio. Yeah. Well, it sounds right. like based on what you're saying, you could have probably joined the Rolling Stones because they were <laughs> they were like yeah. playing the music you already knew. Yeah, and and yeah and. Kingston they're, they're, Trio, forget it. They're a few years older than I am, but uh, we were influenced by the same stuff. Did you ever meet the Kingston Trio? I know they no, were. I never it, did. Could, could have happened, right? I mean, you've been you've been a lot of places. You've yeah. you've seen a lot of folks. <laughs> well, then we we lived through the '60s and uh, that influential age of uh, living through the Beatles and Stones and having yeah. that blues background. You form. Uh, you, when's your first actual band formed? Uh well, that was in high school. I had the. A band called the Petey Tweety Band, <laughs> and uh, this I was. You were Petey, apparently. Well, uh, both of us were Petey, so oh. we were both Petey and we were both Tweety. There's another guy named Peter that played guitar and flute, and I played uh, guitar and ukulele and harmonica, and we had a little duo that played folk music mostly. Then I was in a a number of blues band sort of things. <laughs> Before you moved to Ann Arbor? Yeah. And then, uh, but also before I moved to Ann Arbor, it was 1968. I just had a chance meeting with Chris Brubeck, the son of Dave Brubeck, mm-hmm. at a jam session. And we we had a great time at that jam session. And... Uh, let me see, I was 20 years old and he was, uh, I was 19 and he was 16 at the time. Really? Okay. And and he said, uh, at the end of the jam session, he said, I really like the way you play harmonica. In a year, I'm going to graduate from high school. I'm going to start a rock and roll band. We're going to make a record. We're going to tour the, the world. <laughs> Write down your name and address and phone number. And I wrote it down and gave it to him and and I left thinking, what a dreamer. You know? <laughs> it was a fun jam session, but I'll never see him again. But sure enough, a year later, he sends me a letter and says, uh, I want you to come to Interlochen Arts Academy where I'm going to be graduating from high school in June 1969. So I went to Interlochen Arts Academy in June 1969. We made a demo record on a, at the radio station on a four-track machine. <laughs> and that demo record led us to a recording studio, and someone heard the demo and said, yeah, this is a good band. It was his band in, of all Interlochen students except for me. And uh, that demo got us a demo in a real real recording studio, 16-track recording studio, and and they were rare back in 1969. Mm. Uh, there was only, I don't know, six 16-track machines in the whole United States, but there was one in... <laughs> wow. One in Nashville, one in Chicago, one in New York, 
one in, in Hollywood, and we went to the one in Hollywood and recorded uh, a new a heavenly demo. blue. Uh, yeah, new heavenly blue recorded a demo, and that got us uh, a recording contract with RCA Records. That one came out in 1970. Yeah. According to my notes, 1970. Yeah. Then in 72, at Atlantic Records record. Yeah. And so the RCA dropped us, and we uh, got picked up by Atlantic Records. Did another New Heavenly Blue record. Were you aware that one got reissued on CD by Wounded Bird Records? No, I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, they did. But actually, I think it's out there on CD. I never knew it was on Wounded Bird. Wounded about, Bird, oh, a record okay. label that no longer exists, if I remember correctly. Oh. But it was a reissue label. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty pretty good start to the career. The the son of somebody a lot of people know. I mean, who doesn't yeah. know Take 5? Even if you don't yeah, know. Yeah, well, you, it opened doors for us. Yeah. Why not? Take it. Run. Yeah. Go for it. And then uh, when that band folded, we started a new band called uh sky king mm-hmm. and we got a record contract with uh columbia records so kind of mind-blowing i'd i'd been on these uh three major labels when i was still in my 20s fun <laughs> fact the sky king record also reissued by wounded bird records How about on that? cd <laughs> well i knew that one was reissued but i didn't know by whom? <laughs> and uh, actually, Japan in 2020, something from that era got reissued on CD. That was a good record. Your 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 stuff's out there, and oh, if people yeah. want to find your past. It exists out there. How about that? My guest today on the podcast, Acoustic Alternatives, is Peter Madcat Ruth. Big uh, birthday celebration happening at the Ark. Seventy-fifth uh, birthday. Last yeah. one was the seventieth birthday. I looked back at some of the videos from that one. It's oh, pretty, pretty awesome, man. Yeah. Do you want to do another song before we continue this travel through your life? Okay, I, I'd be happy to. What do you want to do? On this one, I'm going to be playing harmonica in the rack. Okay, we'll turn that on. It's yeah. been muted for reasons unknown. And the ukulele. <laughs> oh, uh, I told you I started playing ukulele and then guitar, and then maybe about 15 years ago I got a ukulele again, and I kind of r- fell in love with it. Uh, I'm playing ukulele, and I'd been playing guitar... All along, every time a band broke up, I'd go play solo for a while, and I'd play guitar and harmonica. Every time I was in a band, they'd say, no, don't play any guitar. <laughs> there was always a better guitar player. <laughs> and uh, But about 15 years ago, I started playing ukulele again, and uh, I hardly play any guitar anymore because I like the ukulele. It's, it's easier. There's less strings. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, here's an autobiographical song I got here. It's called Pocket Full of Soul. And uh, it was the soundtrack for a, a movie, a documentary about harmonica play, players called Pocket Full of Soul. And they had a contest that people could write a, um, write a, a theme song and send it in, and I won the contest. So I, uh, this song is... Uh, the sound on the soundtrack for the movie, the documentary. But it's uh, well, here it is, pocket full of soul. to me first Then Junior Wells he wetted my thirst Little Walter blew my mind With Big Walter Horton right behind I was on a move I was on a roll Had a pocket full of soul Hitchhiking around with my old backpack I played my harp, I made my own soundtrack Standing out on the highway side Playing my harp while I waited for a ride On a roll, on a move, on a roll Had a 
pocket full of soul. Let her playing in a rock and roll band. Ten whole harmonica in my hand. Every gig was a one night stand. <clears throat> playing my harp, yeah, life was grand. I was on the move, I was on a roll. Had a pocket full of soul. to Acoustic Alternatives with my special guest, Peter Madcat Ruth, who's celebrating a 75th birthday at the Ark and some other shows coming up too, but that's the one we're kind of focusing on today, uh, playing songs from his uh, his lifetime, talking about his life. And uh, we're in Grove Studios in Ypsilantia. This is a great spot for bands to uh, get out of the garage, get into the studio, as they say. <laughs> you saw the big room. I showed oh, you the yeah, big room. Oh, yeah, it's a nice one. You might be able to take your, your blues band that you currently perform with mm-hmm. and, and like go there and work huh. some stuff out. Just yeah, well, yeah, it's cool. It has a drum set and an amp set already set up. And Keyboards. Come right in and play. Nice That's little great. place. Check it out. Grove Studios Online in Ypsilanti. You can uh, you can rent this space by the hour at any time of the day. And in fact, I think it's cheaper to do it at 2 in the morning because, mm. you know, off time. But uh, <laughs> check it out if you get a chance. All right. So last we checked in, you'd been in a band with Chris Brubeck. We didn't mm-hmm. mention that Darius Brubeck was in that band. And uh, No, actually, he wasn't in, in that band. Uh, it was a different band. Oh, Sky, uh, Sky So. So when Sky King finally did fall apart, Chris and I both joined the Darius Brubeck Ensemble. Okay. And the Darius Brubeck Ensemble was, we'd been kind of playing rock and roll, but the Darius Brubeck Ensemble was definitely a jazz-oriented band. And and so here I'm in this band, and I was in uh, playing harmonica in a horn section. There was <laughs> a very unusual horn section. There was bass trombone, harmonica, tenor sax, and clarinet. But we'd play horn parts together, and I learned so much about music and about harmonies and playing in a, in a section, and it was a great education. I did that for a couple of years. And then the Darius Brubeck band would uh, would sometimes be opening act for Dave Brubeck's quartet, and then Dave Brubeck decided he didn't need a quartet anymore. He decided that he'd just have Darius Brubeck's band back him up. And it was called the uh, Two Generations of Brubeck. Because uh, in the Darius Brubeck band was Darius Brubeck on keyboards, synthesizers, and electric piano. Uh, Chris Brubeck on bass and uh, bass trombone. And Danny Brubeck playing the drums. So this, you were the only family member that wasn't a family member. <laughs> well, there was others of us. <laughs> okay, there was others of us too. The clarinet and the saxophone player. Okay, but and so and it started out, you know, like a big band, and then it got smaller and smaller and smaller, and and then at one point it was just four Brubicks and myself for a couple of years, and then whoops, I was out of there. So, oh, 
So you were living in Ann Arbor at this point in your life yeah. when you weren't on the road. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then there was a period of like darkness. Yeah, I moved to Ann Arbor to join Chris Brubeck's New Heavenly Blue because after graduating from Interlochen, he came to University of Michigan. Smart boy. And so I, uh, I moved to Ann Arbor to be in the band. And then he dropped out of school, and then uh, everyone in the band moved to uh, New York except me because uh, I like Ann Arbor. <laughs> I get it. So I like still, it too. And I'm, I'm still here. You're still here. <laughs> and we love that about you. <laughs> so there's a time period, I think if I remember reading and listening to other things, that uh, there's like not much going on musically, and eventually you decide to start a solo career. Is that correct? Well, it's, it's my solo career started because I'd been in all these bands with Chris Brubeck and I didn't have to I didn't have to do any booking and I didn't have to Yeah, you weren't leading. I just I just show, show up, up right <laughs> show up for the gigs and then and then I'm in you know two generations of Brubeck and I'm traveling all over the world and we're playing nice gigs and then all of a sudden boop I'm out of a gig and now what am I going to do so uh I started playing the folk music circuit, mm -hmm. playing guitar and harmonica on a rack. Because up to then, I'd been playing, I mean, I started playing folk music back in Chicago, uh, not not making any money at it, but doing it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I, I started playing this folk music circus, circuit, which uh, I got plugged into because uh, the, the original arc was on Hill Street, and I lived about three, four blocks away, and yeah. I'd go over there and and uh, sit in with uh, traveling musicians, and and they'd, they'd tell me where they were playing, and I'd try to get gigs in those places, and I did. And then uh, after a while, I'd get a, a duo or a trio together, and we'd do that for a while, and then I'd be solo again, <laughs> and then various little little bands came around, and... Um, According to my but, research, that was about 1977 when you started that path. Yeah, about 77, right? right seven yeah. years before uh, an actual recording comes out from the research I did as well. Yeah, so about, that sounds about right. And about uh, 29 years before you won the Best New Artist Grammy. Oh wait, no, that wasn't the Grammy. You won, you won a different <laughs> Grammy, but it was <laughs> 29 years before the Grammy, which we'll get to. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, I had kind of this mantra that. <laughs> was anything to avoid real work. And <laughs> so I wanted to play music. I really just wanted to play music. And it's it took a lot of effort to get the gigs. That's the least favorite part is calling people up on the phone and saying, I'm wonderful, you should hire me. Right. I, it was really a, a drag. Because every time, every time you do a gig, you do it for one day and then you're... You're unemployed again, and so, right. <laughs> so you should have taken a marketing class. That would have yeah, helped. You didn't, didn't know that might have helped, but uh, yeah. And I I would talk with uh, various uh, booking agencies every once in a while, and they said, "Well, uh, you don't make mo enough money, so we're not going to take you. So we're not going to book you because yeah. it wouldn't be worth our time." So, but anyway, I still continued to make a living. Of course, my wife also was working and always made more money than I did. So thank you very much, Connie. <laughs> Thanks, Connie. Thanks for letting Peter do have his fun. <laughs> yeah. So the 80s were kind of a tough period, but 1990, I think, is when Matt Catton came for That's it, right? correct. And that's, uh, that started to get some attention. Yeah. Uh, I had various bands during the 80s, and I had uh, Mad Cat's Pressure Cooker. We did a, a record at... Or to, recorded live at the Blind Pig. Mm -hmm. uh, but then uh, that fell apart. I went solo again. <laughs> I think I actually quit that band. Hmm. Quit my you own quit, band. Was it, wasn't the band named? Wait, okay. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was Mad Cat's Pressure Cooker, and I quit the band and said, you guys can call yourselves Pressure Cooker, but you can't call yourselves Mad, Mad Cat's, Cat's Pressure, pressure Cooker. Because yeah. I'm not <laughs> in it anymore. Because I'm not in it anymore. But anyway, uh, I was had a... A gig playing solo at Top of the Park in 1990. I'd already played there quite a few times. Mm -hmm. uh, but I had a solo gig there, and uh, I was going to 
And then it became a duo gig because there's a percussionist from Chicago I'd been playing with named Ruben Alvarez, a great percussionist. And he was going to come to to do the gig with me. And then it, the day the day of or the day before, I think it was the morning of the gig, he said he, he couldn't make it. And I thought, oh, well, what am I going to do? Well, well, I guess I'll play solo. But I'd been jamming with Sherry Kane every once in a while. And I, I called her up and said, do you want to come and play some songs at Top of the Park? And she said, okay. <laughs> Actually, later she said, oh, yeah. <laughs> but she said, okay, I'll do She was it. calm about it. Yeah, she <laughs> kept her cool. And so uh, we did play Top of the Park, and it went really well. And so we said, well, let's try having a duo for a while. And we did for 24 years. And several <laughs> albums and yeah. national touring. and Right, international did, touring. That did great for you. So, uh, yeah, that was fun. What, I mean, things just end sometimes. What caused that to end? I uh, I wanted to play other kinds of music besides just guitar, harmonica, duo music. I wanted to get back into a band. I wanted to do more improvisation. I wanted to check out different types of music. And it seemed like a good time to, 24 years is that's a pretty long good. Yeah, it's a lot long longer time. than the Beatles, but not as long as the Rolling Stones. So exactly there you go. Exactly right. Well, I mean, I've, I've, over the years, have seen you jump on stage with the cream of the crop of Michigan's musicians. I mm. know, like, mm. most of the people that you know are people that I've either interviewed, like, I'm wearing mm. the Rachel Davis shirt. She's been mm. in here twice. Mm. Um, I, I have an understanding of what your popularity is in my own state, mm -hmm. but what kind of recognition do you have outside of here? You said you did some international touring. What? When you go places, are people as equally excited to see you as I am? No. <laughs> <laughs> In short, no. Uh, well, ex except I think I'm more famous in Brazil than I am here. What? Because cause over the last 20 years, I've done 13 tours in Brazil with a band called the Big Joe Manfra Blues Band. Oh, okay. And, and we put out a a CD in Brazil. And the reason I say I'm more famous in Brazil is they have a show, well, it's it's now off the air, but it was called the Jose Suarez Show. <laughs> and it was like the Tonight Show. The same format as the Tonight Show. There's Jose Suarez behind a desk and a couple of seats there and, and a band, a really good band to play music. And I've never been on the Tonight Show. But I've been on the Jose Suarez show twice. Wow. And so people would just walking around the streets in Rio de Janeiro or Sao, Sao Paulo say, oh, I saw that guy in, <laughs> in Jose Suarez show. So That's cool. anyway, more famous in Brazil than here, but I haven't been there for oh, seven or eight years now. So well, there's got to be some parts of America that you have followings, right? Places you Mostly Michigan. Mostly Michigan. Okay. <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just... Oh, and also harmonica conventions. Yes. When well. I go to a harmonica convention, I am definitely a celebrity. When I go to the Kroger store in Westgate, <laughs> I'm just a guy from town. We know him. Yeah. We know yeah, his fans. Right. So, and that's fine. I'm, I'm very... I'm, I don't need to prove anything anymore. I'm I was 75 years old. I'm playing harmonica. I like doing it. I yeah. play music. Pretty good at it. <laughs> I have Understand. my own band. I play in another band called the Schrock Brothers Band, mm -hmm. which is wonderful. West Coast or west side of the state? West side of the state. Yeah, I'm not West Coast. You know what I mean. West Coast of Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, leading that you actually led nicely to the question I had already formed for the next question when you said you're well known at the harmonica places. Mm -hmm. As music fans in general, we're more readily available in our heads to judge a great guitar player, a great piano player, mm. a great singer. But how does, I mean, it's, I'm not saying you're not one because I absolutely think you are one, but how does one judge a great harmonica player? What makes a harmonica player oh, wow. great versus the guy who's picked it up a year ago? I mean, 75 years, you're playing most of your life, but like, how, how do we judge it? Is it just how we feel the... Is it speed? Well, it is has it to do with it, if it tone. I mean, the, the the real thing is if that music moves you. That's true. You're right. And and then there's there's technique, and there's like, you know, someone like Howard Levy, just his technique is like mind blowing, and 
and it moves me. You know, someone like Bob Dylan, his technique is really very shallow, except he moves people. He lo People love to hear Bob Dylan play harmonica. Is he, would I call Bob Dylan a great harmonica player? No, but yes, because he has a sound that's his own sound. And it's, it's been imitated. And it's been imitated. And uh, but Who's your favorite? Who's my favorite? Oh, I have so many. Well, I don't know. <laughs> you named a couple already, I suppose. I mean, for me, growing up, thinking of the harmonica as a, let's say, a 14, 15-year-old, Jake Giles band is what comes oh, to mind yeah. for me. I mean, they, Sure, Magic Dick Jake Giles band is fabulous. It was great. And great that, stuff. Yeah. That's the stuff that, uh, other than you, because I see you more, mm -hmm. obviously Jake Giles band isn't something I can see anymore, but that's what comes to mind for harmonica for, mm -hmm. for a guy like me with my age group. But, you know, it's, it's just not as common of an instrument. There isn't... No, a lot of folks out there making. Yeah, and a so name. it's a lot easier to be the best harmonica player around than, than it is to be the best guitar player around. <laughs> the competition is small. Yeah, it's, it's just a small. Bit. It's a microcosm of the music industry. <laughs> well, I was glancing through your website. It has some very nice archival photos of you as a young man. I uh, did notice that you and I are going in opposite directions. So you used to have short hair. Uh, yeah. I had long hair, and you uh, have long hair. No, yeah, I have well, no hair. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> look at us now, I say. Yeah. Um, so there's some pretty cool quotes on there as well. It says, uh, Mad Cat plays some weird shit. I like that one. <laughs> and he can coax a smile from a rock. I like that one as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of smiles, the person who gives me the most smiles, I think, when I interview her is Rachel Davis, mm. and she will be part of your, your birthday party. Let's oh, talk a little yeah. bit about that. Well, uh, I've known Rachel a long time. Uh, in fact, I met her when uh, she was 13 years old, I think. I know her parents before I knew her. Uh, but yeah, I've been hearing Rachel Davis I mean, I I didn't hear her when she was 13. I heard her more like when she was 21 or 22. And uh, she's one of my favorites. She's and great. One great of your singer. guests. And she sang at my 70th birthday party, and I wanted her to come back. Um, oh, by the way, at the ARC, I had a 50th birthday party and a, a 60th birthday party and a 70th. I said, I'm not going to wait till I'm 80 years old. <laughs> so Good idea. The 75th birthday is uh, April 2nd. Okay. At the Ark. It's a Tuesday. Okay. Rachel's going to be there. Give me the rest of the lineup. Okay. Seth Bernard is going to be in, in the lineup. Awesome. And Sherry Kane. We're coming out of retirement. <laughs> nice. And uh, one of my favorite harmonica players that I met at a harmonica convention, a guy named Buddy Green. You, you sent me a video, and I was very impressed with him. Buddy Green with G-R-E-E-N-E. -E -E. Amazing harmonica player. He lives in Nashville. And, uh, yeah, he's he's really great. If you look up Buddy Green uh, on YouTube, you might find uh, him playing the in Carnegie Hall with... Uh, Playing the William Tell Overture on harmonica. That's what you sent me. Yeah, that was pretty impressive that he could he could move that crowd, right? Yeah, that's probably not what they came to see. <laughs> and, uh, but he also plays. Uh, there's a harmonica player in uh, Nashville named Charlie McCoy, and Charlie McCoy was was the number one session harmonica player in Nashville from like 1960 to. 2000, you know, <laughs> 40 years of playing on everybody's record. I mean, he, he was the harmonica player in Nashville. You might not know the name, but you've heard him on, if you've ever heard any country western music. Anyway, he and Buddy Green became good friends, and they have some things together where they're just tearing up. And uh, So anyway, I wanted Buddy, Buddy Green to be part of this extravaganza. On my 70th birthday, I had Howard Levy and Corky Siegel. That was big fun. So. You had somebody else, too, who's pretty pretty well-known these days. And my 60th birthday, I had the, the Steppin' In It band with Andy Wilson on harmonica. 
I got to say, the Stepping In It show that just happened oh. a month or so ago was great. It was. And when you got up and did that duet with him, it was so yeah, good. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I was wishing somebody was recording that professionally so that mm. I could take that and mm. present it to the station I work at and go, play this. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty special. But uh, mm-hmm. didn't Billy Strings play your 70th as yeah, well? Yeah, he did. He showed He's up done okay for himself. <laughs> yeah. You know, plays Pine Knob these days. No big deal. <laughs> Somebody who his kind of music that yeah. uh, used to play at the Ark. It's nice to see them get the recognition. Yeah, I met Billy Strings when he was like 18, and he was a street performer in Traverse City at the mm. time. Yeah, he's doing all right. He's doing all right. <laughs> How about another song before we continue? All right. What would you like to do this time? Okay, well, it's a Robert Johnson song. Oh, going way back. Way back, in fact. It says right here, 1936. I wasn't around then. Well, I wasn't either. So, but so playing uh, playing ukulele. It's not considered a blues instrument. No. Um, I did hear once. Uh, I I read that. T-Bone Walker, the blues guitar player, started on ukulele. So how about that? But anyway... um, Was he a Don Ho fan, maybe? I don't know. (laughs) So... So you're not supposed to play blues on the ukulele. But I do anyway. Thank you. 
Beatrice? Won't you bring your clothes back home? Come on, little Beatrice, come on. Bring your clothes back home. We can wind up that little phonograph just to hear the little modern moan. My guest today on Acoustic Alternatives, once again, Peter Madcat Ruth. We're in the Grove Studios in Ypsilanti in their podcast studio, and a studio that, again, has many rooms that you can pick from, not just a podcast studio. There's a DJ sets uh, studio over there, and there's a, a room you can master your record in right next to us. Pretty, pretty cool space. And thank mm. you for All spinning right. back the wheels of time for that me. That was an uh, alternative acoustic event just then. It what? right was. <laughs> it sure was. And since I'm not as familiar with the Robert Johnson catalog, what is the title of that song? It's called Phonograph Blues. Phonograph Blues. Thank you. Oh, and it says, uh, it was about the phonograph records before there was electricity where you'd have to wind up yeah. the machine and they broke the chain that wind up the machine. And the needles, they got rusty because they didn't have diamond needles. They had steel needles back then. So. Uh, we've got one of those in the front room of our house, actually. <laughs> it used to belong to my wife's grandparents. Mm. All right, so we kind of skipped over accidentally. Uh, it was about 2006 where you were part of a Grammy-winning album. Is that correct? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's pretty so, much. Tell me about that. So I've been playing during my career. I've been playing folk music. I've been playing blues, blues bands. Rock and roll bands, jazz bands, uh, Americana music. And so I got a call from William Balcom, and he says, I want you, I'm going to record this three-CD set of music called uh, Innocence and Experience. What's it called? Uh, anyway, it's a, it was his epic composition with the U of M Orchestra, with a, different choruses, with a children's chorus, with a reggae band, uh, uh, Jeremy, uh, a fiddle player, uh, this huge thing. They had to build the stage out at Hill Auditorium. Jeremy Kittle? Jeremy Kittle, right. They had to build the stage out further into the audience to fit everyone on the stage. He wanted me to come in and play a folk guitar, and sing a song. Hmm. So I did. I did it. And that recording, just mind-blowing, huge thing, became the classical record album of the year. And because I sang on it, I won a Grammy Award for featured artists <laughs> on the Grammy, the classical... <laughs> The classical record of the year. Still pretty it's cool. Like, what? Yeah. Uh, do I consider myself a classical uh, musician? Not really. However, it's a genuine. I didn't get a trophy, but I did get a plaque, a gold embossed plaque. Thing nice. To hang, it's hanging on my wall at home. It's real. When it came in the mail, I didn't know it was up for a Grammy or anything. And... This package comes in the mail, and I thought it was junk mail. <laughs> Why is the Grammy Foundation sending me anything? And I didn't open it for a few days, and then they opened it up, and my God, I won a Grammy Award. You know, it's like, okay, but if you win a Grammy Award, it helps you, uh, it helps your notoriety, helps you get gigs. So there it looks you go. good on a resume. Yeah, it looks good on a resume, right? For sure. And you brought it up, so it must look good. Yes. No. I mean, it's <laughs> it's 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 impressive. It's kind of cool. Just anything that preserves your legacy is yeah. is a cool thing. So why not? So this quiet down over there. Yeah. So we're seventy fifth birthday party at the Ark will also feature your current blues project, will it not? Well, it's not. Yes, yeah, my current project, but I wouldn't call it a blues project. It's it's an eclectic music project. Okay. The Karma it's Quartet. It's called the Karma Quartet. And it's called that because it's C period, A period, R period, M A period, Quartet. It's hard to type out, you know. Yes. Capitals and periods. But it's it's C for Churchville, John Churchville, the tabla player and drummer. 
C-A-A A for Andes, uh, Brennan Andes, an amazing bass player yeah, who he's great. started the Mac Pods and who's been on hundreds of albums and stages. And stages and, <laughs> I see uh, him almost as much as I see you on stage. Yeah, he's, uh, he's an in-demand bass player in Ann Arbor. R is for Ripke, who is Dan Ripke, who is in a band called the Back 40 for about 15 years, touring around a kind of a, a rock-bluegrass hybrid sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And then M-A for Mad Cat. We just... It spelled something. Yeah, it, it, it spelled <laughs> something. So uh, so we we only had one... One gig, one project. It was a video project in 2021 where we, all, all four of us were in a band called Sumkali, mm -hmm. uh, which was a Indian music jam band extravaganza that John Churchill had started, the tabla player. Mm -hmm. And the Sumkali had a gig, but in in 2021, but the band had already fallen apart, and the violin player moved to Georgia. And but the Gopherwood Music in Cadillac said, "Well, can you send in a a video?" Because no one was having live music in January 2021. No, they were not. And so we sent in a video. The four of us, just former members of Sumkali, put a video together, sent it in. And we had such a good time doing it that so we said, hey, we have a band. Because uh, my, my band, the Mad Cat Midnight Blues Journey, which I'd been touring around the state for eight years, it also died in that time period. So mm -hmm. uh, all of a sudden I had this new band dropped in my lap. And I don't think I would have chosen that name, but... Uh, That's clever. <laughs> it, it stuck. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask how you picked the musicians, but it was kind of by default. It was the, I had this many, and now I have this many, so now it's a yeah, new band. Exactly, and we had such a good time. And we always have such a good time playing music together because we're all very eclectic, and we all listen to a huge variety of music. And so what kind of music do we play? It, it's uncategorical. Cate categorizable. categorizable. <laughs> yeah. We're making up words here. It's okay. Uh, but it had, we have elements of Indian music, we have elements of blues, elements, elements of Americana, jazz, rock, even a little Motown influence in there. It's this, in, this blend, and um, we call it uh, eclectic, traditional, and improvisational music. I don't know. Because okay. you can. Because what else is it? I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't fit in the doesn't fit in the rock and roll bin very well. It doesn't fit in the blues bin very well. So anyway, it's what we play. In world music, I mean it has yeah. that Indian influence. Well you, you do realize at your age people don't spend a lot of time discovering new music. And I don't know that you do, but I have a feeling you do. You seem like the kind of guy that's not content to listen to the same thing you've listened to all the time. No, but it's a funny thing. When I go to find new music, I usually am looking for music recorded before 1940. Ah, okay. I love the uh, going way back and hearing what was, you know. The blueprints. Yeah, really. where, where this stuff all comes from. And recording itself is like recording something and putting it on a 78 record was like in the early teen, 19 teens. Yeah. I mean, it's not yeah. that old. It's all. And then with that in mind, I've been playing music half of recorded history. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's, cra it's crazy. You've accomplished quite a few things. In fact, you've got a microphone with your nickname on it. That's, uh, yeah. People can buy that microphone, the, sh right. the sh Sharker? The, the, sh the Shaker, Shaker Madcat Harmonica microphone. Yeah, it's an invention of mine then. You've got a patent on, you make uh, a little... No, know. I don't have a patent oh, on it, on. and I don't make any money from it, but I, at least I have the notoriety that it's Why? Out there. That should be part of your income. Uh, it should be, <laughs> but it isn't, so there you go. <laughs> well, you've, you've seemed like you've done a lot of traveling in your life. Johnny Cash has. You've been everywhere. Have you considered uh, writing a book of your life's journeys? You've, you've been a lot uh, of Actually, um, 
I have finished a book of a portion of my life journey. Okay. From 1967 to 70, about, I did a lot of hitchhiking. And I wrote this book about just just the hitchhiking I did. And uh, during when there weren't any gigs in 2021, I had time to write this book that I'd been thinking about writing for decades. And I'd even started making notes and stuff over the decades. And uh, hopefully it'll be published in 2024, but it's not guaranteed yet. But uh, it's cool. called, um, well, it's, it, I'm not sure what the title will be, but it's about <laughs> hitchhiking. And I wrote the whole book and then added up all I went from there to there and there to there. And I got a big spreadsheet about where I was when. And then I added up the mileage and it kind of blew my mind 25,000 miles wow. of hitchhiking. That could be a song title right there. Yeah. 25,000 miles of hitchhiking to go with the book. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, in your long career, you've seen many trends come and go. Yeah. LPs, 8-tracks, cassettes, <laughs> CDs, yeah, right. LPs back again. Yeah. And we've also seen how <laughs> musicians have a harder time making a living because digital music is oh, the yeah. norm. We're putting yeah, air quotes yeah. on that. And you can't really digit. You can't monetize it very well. So how no. does how does one survive in the music industry in 2024? I have no idea. Come on, you're, you have the wisdom of time. and Well, I'm being over 70 years old, I, I get a social security check. Well, there's that. And, uh, and I still make music. I still travel around and make music because that's allowed. And, uh, but, yeah, it's so much harder because you used to... Uh, sell records. You know, sell, <laughs> sell records and sell CDs. Now, I'll, for a long time... A big part of my income was selling CDs after the gig, but mm -hmm. uh, a lot, that's a lot. C CD and LP sales have gone down. Now, LP sales came up to match <laughs> CD sales, but they're both going down. So That's a shame. I hate yeah. to see that. But anyway, um, I uh, have no idea how musicians in the future will make any money at it, but... Uh, I lived in a good period of time that I actually did. Would so. you Would you have any advice for younger musicians now that we've lived through yeah. a pandemic? And yes, I my advice for younger musicians is really have a good time, <laughs> and and play it and uh, play play music and have fun. And if you can have some other activity that makes you money, that would be a wise decision. Very good, very good advice. Would you like to do another song before I we close would. out? I would. All right. Now, I mentioned that I uh, um, I like to listen to old yeah. old recordings. And here's one from Gus Cannon's Jug Stompers, 1929. Don't know this. However, when I was uh, starting to play music in the 1960s, there was a hit record on the radio, AM and FM, <laughs> but a hit record in 1963 by the Rooftop Singers where they covered the song by Gus Cannon from 1929. Hmm. I don't know if you'll recognize this one or not, but it goes like this. It's called Walk Right In. Walk around. 
where you been so long? Work right in, stay a little while, honey, let your hair hang down. Everybody's talking about a new way of walking. Do you want to lose your mind? Walk right in, sit right down. Baby, let your mind roll on, roll on. Baby, let your mind roll on, roll on. Baby, let your mind roll on, roll on. Baby, let your mind roll on. Absolutely do know that song. <laughs> Peter Madcat Ruth is the guest today on Acoustic Alternatives from Grove Studios. And uh, one final question. Because okay. you've had a long career in music and just a long life, which is great. What is being done to preserve your legacy? Hmm. To preserve my legacy. You have a lot of things. That I just rattle off, like, from 1970, you put albums on a major labels, and you've done all these things, bloop, 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 played with Brubex, mm-hmm. won a Grammy. I mean, like, there should be something that's being done to say... Well, you can go to my website and I read know. about it. That, that's, that's something, but, like, there should be there should be an archive or something. Uh, like, I don't know. I, I won the Harmonica Player of the Year sometime in this century. I forget yeah. what year it was. And... Uh, from the SPA, the Society for the Preservation and Advancement of Harmonicas. SPA it, with an H, I see. Yeah, S-P-A-H. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Uh, Somebody needs to get on this. I don't know. Somebody needs to collect all your goods and have put them in a Have a museum spot. someplace? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. You, you have done legendary things, and it is an honor to, to run into you and know you and call you friend. Well, and, uh, very, very good. I hadn't given it a lot of thought, but I'm... My plan is to continue to play music. Nobody lives forever, Peter. That's correct. I, one of my, uh, an inspirational story I heard was a piano player in Chicago named Blind John Davis. He was 100 years old, and he died on his way to a gig. Wow. Wow. So maybe... Uh, That's it. So anyway, I, I have some time left. I'm I'm a mere seventy five years old. I'm not saying you're dying. I'm just saying like it's time to start thinking about making sure all of this stuff is collected somewhere so that we can go. Peter left us all of this. Wow, there's there's stuff in my office and stuff in my garage. I don't know. So start start making a spot for it. All right, tell us again the date of the show. Okay, Tuesday, April second. Um, of this year, 2024, <laughs> at the Ark in Ann Arbor. Tickets are on sale now. Thearc.org. Arc.org. Uh, I, someone told me yesterday that all the reserved seats are already gone. How Great. about that? So anyway. That's your actual birthday, right? It's my actual birthday. Uh, Seth Bernard will be there as well, and his actual birthday is the day before, April 1st. Very good. So um, that'll be fun. And... Um, what else? Rachel's uh, coming up from Nashville. Buddy's coming up from Nashville. Yeah, that's right. Sherry Kane lives in town still, right? That's correct. It's a, it's a good lineup. And the Karma, Karma and the Quartet. And the Karma Quartet. Also part of the lineup. Yeah. And so I'll just throw out a few other things. The Karma Quartet will be playing in Grand Rapids for the Jammy Awards, oh, cool. which is the West Music West Michigan Music Awards. And uh, I went last year. And we were invited to play this year, so that's cool. that's fun. And uh, since you got something else in March, I think you. And me then that. right, on, I think it's the third of March. It's a Sunday. I'm playing with the Dexter Community Orchestra, playing a harmonica for two pieces, uh, both arranged by Chris Brubeck, and uh, that'll be different. Yeah. So hey, I guess that's my classical music. I'm trying to earn my Grammy still by playing classical music once in a while. I mentioned your website, and I mentioned if anybody just Googles Peter Madcat Ruth, they will find it, but the actual website is? Mm, PeterMadcatRuth.com, I believe is the name of that. And uh, yeah, if you you go to YouTube as well, if you put, if just, if you put Peter Madcat or Madcat Ruth or or just something like if that. you put mad cat you get a bunch of growling cats or something but <laughs> but if you put mad cat ruth or peter mad cat or peter mad cat ruth uh, there's a, i have a whole lot of videos up on yes, you youtube do. yeah you sure do i guess that's part of my legacy you're it is about, it, right? those will exist until youtube gets destroyed which uh, probably will be never at least i hope not because this lives on youtube too oh good thank you so much for well, spending I'm time i'm so with me. glad to be here and goodbye out there and uh 
TV land? <laughs> There's no land out there called TV land. I've, <laughs> I've looked for it. Thanks to Grove Studios for being an excellent home. You can look them up as well. Just Google Grove Studios Ypsilanti. You'll find out mm -hmm. about it. 24-7 operation. Uh, you know, you can rent it anytime you want for, on the hour. And uh, I'm really grateful that they encouraged me to do this podcast in the first place. Very good. They are the, really the reason I'm doing it. If it hadn't been mm -hmm. for them saying, you should do a podcast here, I wouldn't be doing it. So. Ah. Good thanks idea. To, thanks to them. And uh, I have had in the past sponsors for the podcast. That's like two years ago in the past. So I'm starting to like dwindle away all that money that I made because I hardly I didn't take any of it. So now I need Patreon patrons. If you oh, want to yeah. find out how to support me on Patreon, go to johnbomarito.com, Click on the Acoustic Alternatives tab and everything you need to know about the podcast, the Patreon page, the weekly YouTube playlist, and the radio show that's on two different radio stations. Oh, boy. Not even the radio show that I told you about privately before we did this. So mm -hmm. there's all sorts of things going on at johnbomberuda.com. But Peter Madcat Ruth, thank you so much for being the guest I'm today. so glad to be here. It's great. Uh, I had a good time. Yes, yes. More to and come? I'm going to be around Michigan for a while. I'll be busy playing this summer. Uh, almost all my gigs are within the state of Michigan, so perhaps I'll see you at one of those. And he's got 25 more years left to live, so let's okay. catch him now. <laughs> Bye. All right, thanks a lot.